Welcome to Brain Hill Podcast. I'm Dad McIntyre. My name is Adrian Pope, and today we're going to be talking about the coal industry and whether or not Donald Trump and the Republican Party are straight up gaslighting Americans about how important the coal industry is. So uh, right off the bat, uh, what do you think about that? The fact that the coal mining industry and the coal industry are so important that we need to, I don't know, upend capitalism to prop them up as an industry, give them subsidies and protect uh, those uh, very valuable workers to the American uh, economy. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think that much about coal. I mean, it's obvious that uh, it's no longer really economic in many regards. And it just seems like a holdover of like that fake Americana that Republicans and conservatives love to talk about, like make America great again. Yeah. For some reason, in their like political perspective, they have this uh, aesthetic, this Americana aesthetic of the good old coal miners going into the coal mines, you know, like just forgetting about all the black lung and all the, you know, the dead coal miners and the widows. <laughs> it's not a great industry. And it's really weird. I, I just think that it's all these coal companies that have been donating money to Republican politicians mm-hmm. for so many decades that they're basically just trying to squeeze out as much money as possible. Obviously, coal is a dying industry and the power grid will... It should have like turned away from coal 20 years ago. You know, if Al Gore had become president <laughs> in 2000, yeah. you know, maybe coal wouldn't uh, be around at all anymore. But it is just a weird holdover of just rich capitalists who's who I'm, they got to be aware that coal's dying and they're just trying to make every penny they can before uh, America obviously switches to renewable energy. Well, here's a question for you. Uh, like, do you know how many coal miners there actually are? 53,000? Yeah, that's right. How'd you know that? <laughs> uh, I think we talked about it a couple times before. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, coal miners, there really aren't a lot of them. And, and 53,000 is actually a pretty small number of people in any occupation, um, <laughs> which is really funny if you think about it. Because I was looking at like some, uh, here's some stats from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics about how many other people work in other professions. So keep in mind, 53,000 uh, coal miners, but there's 60,000 people making bricks in America. That's kind of interesting. There's 66,000 travel agents. There's 80,000 people. That's hard to believe there's that many yeah, travel agents right? still. This data is from 2018, actually. So there's uh, 80,000 pest control workers. So uh, you get to two times how many people there are compared to coal mining. There's like 107,000 massage therapists. There's 110,000 dentists. There's 124,000 kindergartners, uh, sorry, kindergarten teachers. <laughs> and, and this one surprised me that there's 136,000 butchers. Really? Isn't that interesting? Well, I guess, I mean, it, it grocery stores all across America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, ma- it makes sense when you, like, kind of think about it, but it's surprising at first glance. And there's, um, so 622. Yeah, so it's so weird that every election you hear Republicans talking about what we have to do to protect coal miners. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, those those butchers are a bigger, <laughs> bigger, uh, bigger number of workers who maybe we should think about their interests more than coal miners. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if you like you brought up like nostalgia and it's interesting because like coal coal mining used to be a pretty big industry in America. It used to employ over a million people, um, you know, somewhere between 800,000 people and a million people. And then even 10 years ago, it employed 80,000 people. But today, yeah, think I mean, about it's like 100 down. years ago, how many children it employed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can fit in the, the tinier little uh, spots yeah. in the coal mine. <laughs> 
that they're that last little bit of coal. better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's it's kind of weird. So like the political role of uh, the coal industry in our in our politics is way drastically uh, exaggerated compared to their actual economic place in America. So uh, another kind of interesting thing about the uh, coal industry, like you said, black lung is like how shitty of a job it is. So I have some stats here. This is from the uh, CDC. Um, they point out that like they're first off since like 1823 when the government really started recording this data. Uh, there's been like over 623 major coal mining incidents. Uh, and they involve everything from inhalation, dynamite explosions, fires, cave-ins, elevator and shaft collapses, uh, dam failures, and suffocation. So, oh, um, yeah, there's some. There's a group called like uh, um, like Concerned Scientists of the United States, and uh, on their website they they point out that uh, more people have died in coal mines than we've had combat deaths in Vietnam and Iraq combined, which is pretty messed up if you think about it. That is crazy. And the last little thing about black lung I found it interesting and I read about is that uh, Congress in 1973 pa- passed something called the Black Lung Benefits Act. And what it actually does is it takes uh, an excise tax on coal that's mined and they use that money to uh, basically pay for medical benefits uh, to coal miners who get black lung. And it gives like payments to family members, uh, dependents of coal miners who died from black lung. Um, so it's really weird. Uh also about it is that the, the, the fund continually runs out of money because they need to pay out more and they won't raise the uh, tax on the coal industry itself to pay for it. So what ends up happening is taxpayers bail out uh, coal miners' medical problems because the treasury actually regularly forgives the fund's debts because the fund, when they run out of money, they borrow from the treasury and then eventually the treasury typically just forgives the debt, which is really do weird. You know why you know, they do that? Why they did that? Like, is that just something that the uh, the rich coal company owners didn't want to have to pay out for their workers, so they managed well, probably, to, out a yeah. way to socialize the costs of their uh, oh, a hundred percent damages of the profession. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you think about like if more than seventy five thousand people in the last like hundred and fifty years have gotten have died of black lung, then like you know, think of how uneconomic would coal be if they had to pay all that uh medical money to the you know that'd be that's literally like 45 plus billion dollars they've spent on people with black lung in like uh basically welfare payments to them through this program right. and if like think of where the coal industry would be if they're already going bankrupt what if they had yeah. lost 46 billion dollars over the last like i don't know since 1973 you know yeah, it's so weird. It reminds me of uh, like Walmart uh, lobbying the government to keep the um, all of the safety nets and food stamps and all those programs funded mm-hmm. uh, because they don't they don't pay their workers enough to live, and their workers are they know their workers are desperately uh, dependent on those because they mm-hmm. don't pay high enough wages. So it, it's just another uh, priceless example, I guess, of. Uh, rich capitalists while privatizing all of the profits of their business they socialize a lot of the expenses any 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 chance they get yeah well and it's really weird too because the government does like pay a lot of payments for other companies too especially when people get injured they you know there's some kind of insurance stuff there's there's certainly welfare if people get hurt uh and then certainly there's uh things like uh, workman's comp and stuff that's provided at the local state level um, and then there's Social Security, uh, the, the federal level. So it's really weird that like, uh, you know, you say coal miners, you know, have an inherently dangerous job, but 
It, it's like really different from other dangerous jobs like being a firefighter or a police officer or a nurse or something because like what what they do is like a real public good and a real public service but like coal miners are having all this risk you know medically uh and with their lives and you know mining coal is really not a public service especially since coal is just one of many ways of producing electricity and it's like not very economic and it's kind of needlessly harmful to its workers and it's like really bad for the environment obviously so that's kind of weird isn't it yeah um I don't, I don't know if you're planning to bring this up later, but we were talking the other day about how a lot of coal mines actually operate at a loss. And yeah. that just makes higher energy prices for consumers. And um, then there's the fact that it it's cheaper to just build a whole new natural gas plant than to keep running uh, an already existing coal plant. Well, yeah, I was, I was reading some articles about just that. And there's for the coal industry as a whole, there's basically two thresholds, two economic thresholds that the industry has to go through uh, on its way out. And uh, they're kind of interesting to think about because the first one is just the threshold of um, when it becomes cheaper, like you said, to build a new natural gas or renewable energy power plant rather than building a new coal plant. So uh, basically what I mean is every utility company that provides electricity is just not going to build coal plants anymore because natural gas and renewables are are cheaper, and and what a lot of people have kind of mentioned is we're already kind of past that point, uh, which is really bad for the the coal industry. And then the the second threshold, which it, it really depends where we're at, you know, across the, na- the nation, depending on like how far away it is from coal sources and and how easy it has good kind of solar and wind capability. Um, but the second threshold is when it's actually cheaper for a utility company to just throw away a coal plant completely um, and just build from scratch new infrastructure for carbon, uh, natural gas and, and wind and solar. So what that means is that even if they have a running, perfectly maintained uh, coal plant, they're just going to cut it down uh, and uh, sell it and then just build from scratch new uh, energy plants with uh, natural gas and wind and solar. Uh, so in some parts of the country, that's actually kind of happening, too, uh, which really kind of makes you think about the future of the coal industry. It's kind of fucked in a lot of ways because uh, like across the country, natural gas is like 40 to 50 percent cheaper than coal. Um, and then obviously wind and solar are getting cheaper and cheaper by the year. And they're already cheaper than than coal in a lot of parts in the country. What's kind of keeping the coal industry is that there's certain parts of the country that don't get a lot of wind or you know sun compared to other parts. Uh, so they kind of still basically only survive on that. Basically, they're surviving on the fact that other means of cheaper energy hasn't quite gotten to them yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of like just a holdout at this point into a figment of the past. Uh, but that's something that, that kind of confuses me is a lot of I don't know if it's just um, made up bullshit of just fake kind of like propaganda or just bad cheap lobbying or something but the idea that uh, wind farms are so ugly i don't understand that who who is really that offended by seeing giant wind turbines because i've i've done a couple road trips across america and i think it's cool personally when you get into like a big flat stretch of arkansas or something Mm -hmm. um and you just you just go through a giant farm of wind turbines spaced out just looking massive i I don't i don't understand why that it's, it's like why it seems to have such a disproportionate uh like aesthetic 
of like opinion of aesthetics around the country that that's ugly and that's something that Americans don't want and that that's a reason <laughs> yeah. not to go into wind power. <laughs> I just that that blows my mind. It's like the underlining thing of what you think about it, right? So if you're pro renewable energy, you probably see a wind farm and go, "Oh yeah, that's awesome!" Like that's you know less carbon emissions. But if you're against right. that to begin with, you probably think it's stupid. Um, which is really kind of funny because a lot of utility companies own quite a bit of land. Uh, so a lot of those wind farms are literally going on private land. So it doesn't really matter what you think uh, because it's private entities doing whatever they want on their own private land. And yeah. it has the benefit of giving cheaper electricity to consumers and businesses. And it's not emitting carbon emissions and CO2 specifically. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, the same thing with uh, like solar panels. People think those are stupid too, or they think people or their neighbors who get them on their house are stupid. But it's kind of funny because a the, actually a lot of states, and this is kind of interesting, a lot of states are mandating by regulation and law that um, if you put solar panels on your own property or your own house, uh, utility companies have to be able to enable you to sell that excess electricity back to the grid. So for some homes, especially in California, where they're really kind of jumping on the whole uh, renewable bandwagon, uh, there's some homes that basically get free electricity from their solar panels. And they make up for the cost of the solar panels when they build the house by giving all that energy back to the grid. And eventually you start profiting off the um, solar panels, um, which I'm sure will only continue in the future as solar panels get better and better over time. Well, I mean, at a certain point, you can't profit a whole lot. There's at a certain point, you can't give these energy companies can't give money to every single house that's on the grid, I guess. At a certain point. No, I mean, that's it's like kind a, of the law. If if. Like that electricity. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, hypothetically, if there well, was how would too a power much grid company then how would a power grid company make any profit at that? I mean, at that point, wouldn't it just be like a nationalist thing, like a national federal thing where just every house gets it and uh, you just don't have to worry about energy anymore as like a price of living or a cost? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any utility company that's gotten or like grid area that's gotten to that point where there's too much electricity and the utility company is not even providing most of it um so we're probably a long way from that but i would imagine um since the utility company is still selling that excess electricity to other people uh the homeowner gets a cut but i'm you know obviously the utility company gets a cut too because they're using the utility company's uh power lines and and such to uh, yeah. move the electricity around yeah that's true um, at a certain point, though, well, just energy companies have to become national. I mean, it's so difficult even now to have a new company come up into um, into communities and build all new separate power lines for themselves to be able to compete. So functionally, a lot of uh, power companies and energy companies already kind of have monopolies. Um, and you oh, know, yeah, they kind of sure. take out different cities and communities and don't really try to compete. Uh, well, there's no competition, and what's kind of interesting in this uh, is something conservatives are going to hate, but it's actually a lot of local government conservatives put in place by actual conservative elected officials, and what their a lot of their jobs are is like in regulation, right? So if you have a monopoly in a lot of places, especially utility companies, the state or some county or local government or something, but typically the state will have regulators that... You know, because they're essentially guaranteeing a company a monopoly over a certain area, they are very heavily regulated. Uh, and with that regulation, uh, you have people literally making sure that what the utility company is doing is actually best for the consumer. 
and especially if it's within their means. So kind of like that second threshold where it becomes cheaper over the long run to either buy a new natural gas plant or renewable plants simply rather than keeping a existing coal plant going, especially if it's uneconomic or non-profitable. So in a lot of in a couple of states, you're actually seeing very conservative regulators and conservative governments telling local utility companies, hey, uh, you know, there's no reason for you to run this this coal plant at a loss. You need to, you know, get rid of it and then either buy a natural gas plant or renewables because that would actually save the consumer more money. Um, so that's kind of an interesting little thing that's playing out where regulators are actually helping consumers and therefore the environment by doing the, you know, what's the economic thing, but also you could say the environmentally right thing to do. Yeah, but I'm saying like, let's say 30 years down the line at a certain point where every community has that like local uh, essential monopoly at a certain point, um, won't that just be nationalized? I mean, why should a private company, I guess, just continue making... I guess money long after I don't know I guess what what's your thinking on that I mean well well just for the rest of time some company in a town just have a monopoly and just be sitting there the regulator does the maybe a lot of the work and tells them what they should and shouldn't do um, at a certain point how I mean I don't I see know. what you're what saying your thoughts on that yeah I see what you're saying I think like especially in this country a very capitalist focused you know sometimes more so. You know, we're more capitalist focused than we actually really are. And people just don't know about it. But um, I would say that a lot of people, especially conservatives, would be against like nationalizing any of those utilities, um, especially when, you know, for the most part, if you have a very regulated utility company, yeah, they're guaranteed profit. But the utility company at least is under market forces as far as like doing stuff that's right by the consumer. So if if they can find ways to save money, they probably will. Um, there's also another thing and trend, especially you know by the year 2050, when so many countries have signed up for and, and pledged themselves to follow through with the Paris Climate Accords. There's a lot of utility companies actually trying to get ahead of public opinion, and you know while it saves them money to switch from coal to renewables or at least natural gas, which is at least saving 40 to 50 percent of the carbon emissions. Um, uh, what you have is a lot of utility companies actually making the change themselves. You know, one's for financial gain and one's for public opinion. Um, plus, I don't think energy costs are that expensive in America. Um, it's hard for them to be, especially with the heavily regulation that they have, because, I mean, there's so much natural gas out there right, right now, which is really kind of the interesting little fact of why coal is really being killed. And it's not so much renewables, which are still under 20% of total nationwide energy production, but like natural gas. So like not only do people mine for natural gas, when they mine, uh, when they get the oil from, uh, you know, North American shale, uh, the what comes up besides oil is natural gas. So you really have people mining for natural gas, and then you have people mining for oil also coming up with tremendous amounts of natural gas. So it's like we have so much natural gas, it's, the price is just plummeting and coal can't possibly uh, keep up. And I saw a statistic that natural gas companies actually burn off uh, a ton of natural gas just to keep it marketable. Uh, and isn't the that prices, bad for the environment, though? Yeah. Well, just waste, a lot of people I mean, point out a lot of people point out that it doesn't really matter what you do with na uh, natural gas. It's still cleaner and better for the environment than uh, coal. And even if like the CO2 emissions, you know, let's say you burn off a lot pretty stupidly to maintain the price, you're still going to 
have less CO2 emissions than coal. But more importantly, uh, things that natural gas don't have that coal does are things like uh, mercury particles that fly up in the air. So I think like a vast majority of mercury uh, in this country that ruins our environment comes from burning coal and natural gas has like zero. So um, there's That's other it. benefits. Yeah. Um, same thing with there's like uh, nitrogen oxides and like sulfur related uh, elements in coal that get burned up and then put in the atmosphere. So um, basically, if you go natural gas and switch from from coal, I mean, you're really not going wrong environmentally uh, or financially whatsoever. That's good. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know what we really need to do, because it's not about just getting rid of carbon emissions. We need to like actually go backwards in time and, and cut out carbon emissions and go like basically carbon neutral from like the 1980s, basically, uh, to really stop global warming. Um, so what we really just need to do is continue the press on getting rid of coal completely. Uh, but then we also need to continue switching to actual renewable wind, solar, geothermal type um, energy sources. Yeah, and it definitely makes no sense long term either, just because if you think about having to burn anything is inherently bad for the environment. Uh, plus long term, wind and, and solar energy and sunlight are basically limitless and you will never run out because natural gas, there's only so much on Earth. I think coal, I saw something that the Environmental Information Agency uh, for the government had some data that they they speculate will run out of coal in like 330 years or less or something. So, I mean, long, long term, it makes no sense not to be on wind and solar as quickly as possible. And like you said, it makes you wonder what could have been if, if Al Gore had become president or we'd taken global warming seriously earlier. Yeah, I feel bad for Al Gore. All the ideas <laughs> that could have been. Yeah. Just imagine if we had spent like all the money that we spent on Iraq on, you know, green technology and a revolution in terms of our energy grid and things like that. Yeah. Well, the worst thing is just how little we would have had to do back then compared to now. Like the problem is so much worse. Right. Well, And, and the crazy thing, too, is like countries like America can afford to go more renewable and green quicker, like kind of need to step up. If you look at the projections, because you have countries like Brazil, India, China indonesia some southeast asian countries like and especially africa as a whole basically like they're gonna have to pollute a lot to get to any stage of development close to like europe and america so i mean the fact that you know we're not going to give up fossil fuels until other people do is kind of stupid <laughs> if you think about yeah, it yeah right american leadership right there yeah i mean I saw some, so Europe is really big on getting rid of coal completely, and I think I saw something like the UK uh, will basically be coal free in the next five years or something like that. Um, and then countries like Germany are trying to get off coal and going to natural gas. Yeah, uh, natural gas is actually a really interesting thing for America because uh, so much of Europe gets natural gas from Russia, so they yeah. would love to be able to get the liquid. Uh, liquid natural gas from America. So that right there is probably going to hurt coal a lot too, just because um, of how much infrastructure will be built around just getting more natural gas yeah. to export. Let's talk about Russia for a second real quick, because okay. yeah, that's a huge kind of problem in the, for the future because Europe does get so much natural gas from uh, Russia that they can't really take as uh, bold, decisive action against Russian aggressions uh, and kind of like 
you know, Russian bullshit um, on the global stage as much as they would like because they can't do anything to sacrifice that natural gas that they're dependent on. But uh, mm-hmm. it also really sucks for Russia because their economy is so wrapped up on those fossil fuels, mostly um, coal, oil, and uh, particularly that natural gas. So they have kind of like the... Um, they have the like kind of one resource curse that their economy is so bent up on uh, uh, energy that that's that's why they have such bad uh, oligarchy problems because the people who get really really rich in their um, kind of main export um, then they want to kind of bequeath that wealth and those jobs and their companies to their children and it makes this very insular kind of oligarchic pattern of them all competing for the, you know, the, the profits available in that one resource or just that one like kind of industry. And uh, Russia definitely has kind of screwed themselves over with that mindset. Well, I've heard the last couple of years, Putin especially is focused on trying to get a little of Russian economic dependence away from the uh, fossil fuel industry. But you're right, that is a big problem, um, which would be really kind of interesting, I think, uh, imagine America's role if we just like kind of like Saudi Arabia can with oil if we just flood the world with cheap natural gas uh, especially because I read something like America burns off as much natural gas as countries like Romania use every year just because we want to keep the price stable but imagine and I think they're actually working on building like some liquid gas terminals I think I saw a number like five liquid gas terminals around the country to export natural uh, gas easier so that could be a huge thing for America in the future, especially with our relationships with like Europe. Yeah. Because I, I talked to a German guy one time and, and he was telling me that uh, one of the biggest personal expenses for families in, in Europe, certainly Germany, where he's from, is uh, actually fuel and uh, natural gas for heating and cooling and stuff and to power his house. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So, that, you know, Russia's kind of gotten by the balls a little bit like you described. Right. How great if America could just sidestep all of that by just shipping natural gas over there. Natural gas is still kind of uh, uh, the kind of main driver right now of a lot of regional conflicts. China, for in, in, uh, uh, for example. You're saying natural gas is? Yeah, uh, just like fuel in general. But natural natural gas pipelines are a big area of contention mm-hmm. in some of China's like western borders. Um, certainly uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, that whole region there kind of straddling from Turkey to Iran and Afghanistan all the way to China. Um, that's kind of like the crossroads of a lot of these uh, energy um, supplies around the world uh, throughout Central Asia. And China needs a lot of access to energy because it's growing so big and so fast. Russia wants to be able to sell all of their natural gas to these different countries and throughout Central Asia. And then obviously going through Turkey into Europe is a big way for Europe to kind of bypass Russia and the whole kind of Ukrainian uh, Russian uh, tensions there and get gas just through Turkey on the southern end of Europe. So um, we'll see how that kind of plays out. interesting if you think about it. Yeah, it's an interesting time right now. Like just today in the stock market, they had a bunch of... um, people's bets against gasoline go negative so in theory people were literally paying other people just to take gasoline from them yeah so gas prices literally went to like sub five dollars and and briefly for a while at least with the bets that were gone bad because you know people were betting 
that oil uh, the price of oil would go up back in like March. So when they had to call in their bets today and the price was nothing, you know, the price actually went negative. Um, so you, you gasoline has never been cheaper. Um, uh, OPEC's having tr- problems keeping the price steady. Russia and Saudi Arabia are getting in kind of a pissing contest about the price of oil. And then if you just talk about natural gas, like America is more natural gas and we even know what to do with. We're literally putting the coal industry out of business because we have so much natural gas. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Everyone talked about like energy de- independence, but now the, the world economy basically has a giant glutton, multiple forms of energy. And this is all the, the same while that uh, uh, hydro... Uh, uh, solar and wind are just becoming more and more prevalent as well. Certainly, it's a great way for every country to kind of get off their dependence of, uh, of you know, contentious resources in contentious areas of the globe if everyone gets into kind of renewable technology. The biggest thing well, holding back, like, for the... the biggest thing is, like, is battery power, right? Battery power just can't store yeah. enough to really just be on the wind and solar. Well... Yeah, um, so a lot of it's what about what they call like peak hours and stuff. So yeah. like in a lot of places, wind and solar are increasingly able to take the most of the demand. And then we're, we're probably for the future where natural gas will probably have to remain a uh, what you call like a baseload level of energy production is because for peak hours or peak months or last kind resort of. resort kind of thing. Yeah, so it's like when solar and wind and, and battery power kind of start coming a little short you just quickly turn on a natural gas uh uh plant and then you make up that uh energy uh difference to keep the grid going strong without any interruptions um which is fine because having you know uh fossil fuels just be the peak energy consumption kind of backup is is way better than having it the primary uh in every country on earth yeah going 24 7 and we can talk yeah. about the power grid a little bit because that's one thing that everyone is constantly saying. Uh, most countries in America in particular that we hear here in America, obviously, is that our power grid is kind of like a hodgepodge of various uh, regional and local power grid systems. And mm-hmm. it's all very susceptible to a solar flare that happens every hundred years or so on average. Uh, we had like a major solar flare in the early like 1910s, I believe, at some point. But the... Uh, the solar flare kind of like fried a bunch of little like power grid systems, but obviously it was nowhere near as sophisticated or why, uh, or, uh, mm-hmm. like important then as it is now, but that would like really, yeah. they would really screw things up. If just our entire power grid system gets fried by some unusual solar activity. Well, it's, it's that reason. And then a lot of people also talk about like kind of national security with our grid system, yeah. how weak it is. A threat of hacking that's the interesting... or terrorism. Yeah, which actually, if you look at like, uh, especially coal, the coal industry is probably the worst for that because uh, somewhere between like 72 and 77% of all the coal that's mined is mined in just six states at a couple different uh, coal mines. Um, I shouldn't say a couple coal mines, it's hundreds of coal mines, but just in a couple areas and a couple of states. So I mean, that right there uh, is pretty risky, at least in that argument. I don't know if I buy that argument completely. Um, but one thing I will say is that solar and wind and other renewables are kind of like the ultimate in, uh, 
uh, decentralized power, uh, if you think about it, because how could a terrorist or a, you know, sunspot or sun activity, you know, fry every solar panel and every wind turbine on in the country? You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, as long as the grid is able to shift electricity to where it needs to go, then we'd be 100 percent fine. You know, especially if you're talking about like a, a, a solar activity that might fry um, the at least the computer equipment within, you know, some of these bigger plants. I mean, there's some plants that provide and utility companies with a couple of plants that provide electricity for hundreds of thousands or maybe a million or two people. Um, and it's a little more complicated than that. But I mean, if one area is affected in a country more than another, then you can see entire millions of people losing power. Yeah. So that, that was kind of a quick little roundup there on uh, some green energy. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Brain Mill Podcast. Check out the Halfway Post. Always good satire there. I'm Dash McIntyre. I'm Adrian Pope. Enjoy the guitar solo.